Hey everyone, welcome to Way of Life Podcast, where we firmly believe that everyone picks a way in life and what way you pick is extremely important and directly affects how you live. In this podcast, we seek to interview people from all around Australia and beyond on life's most important topics. Whether you're a Christian, a skeptic, or someone with a whole heap of questions, this podcast is for you. My name is Matt, a pastor living in Brisbane, Australia. This is Way of Life Podcast. Take your seats if you haven't already. Um, so we're going to get into some questions now with you, Luke. Um, so the first one, most voted for so far, is a pretty cool question. Can science explain the spiritual? Um, there's a couple of ways to take that. Um, so first of all, can science ever replace God is a question. Uh, and I would say the answer to that is no. Uh, the reason for that is when you really properly understand a, a, a worldview without God in it, like naturalism, um, what it's trying to say is not that science has replaced God, but it's trying to say that the, explan- the, the explanation that God is supposed to provide is one we don't need anymore. That's what it's trying to say. So it's not... In that case, any sort of result of science that brings you to that conclusion, because it doesn't rest on science at all, it's trying to say, actually, that whole we need an, an ultimate reality, we need a creator of the universe, you know, we need a reason why there is something rather than nothing, we need an ultimate cause, we need a designer of the universe. Actually, what it's trying to say is, what the atheist is trying to say, the naturalist in particular, is trying to say, we don't need that. Um, but then you have to just leave all of those questions unanswered. Mm. So it's not a question of future science will discover why there's something rather than nothing. It's you have to try to convince yourself really hard that you didn't actually ever want an answer to that question. Mm. And you have to just try really hard not to want to know why anything exists at all. Um, This is, there are some atheist um, scientists who don't get this, so Lawrence Krauss would be one of them, if you know that name. Yeah. There are some who do, who are sort of just understand the philosophy a bit better. So um, Sean Carroll, Carroll would be one of those, who just understands that that's what he's committing himself to and tries to defend it. Right. Um, so, so there's that sense, can science replace God? No, even if naturalism were true, it wouldn't replace God. It's just trying to say... That, that, that that was never needed rather than that we have something else that fills that place. Yeah. In terms of the spiritual, there's another way that that might be meant, met, which is, you know, um, the thought that people need a spiritual aspect to their lives and that they could replace this with science. It's kind of fascinating how much when you, you know, there was an attempt in the UK, and I don't know if it's still running, but uh, people who were atheists, who weren't believers, who didn't want to go to church, still wanted to do something like that sort of community on a Sunday morning. So they tried to run these atheist churches where they got together and, you know, sung Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen and had, you know, readings <laughs> from a from a favourite science book and had a talk about something. And it's just kind of fascinating that that, that wanting something deeper, wanting community with other people, mm. wanting 
you know, answers to the big question is not something that goes away. And so it's not science trying to explain it, you know. Yeah, so the people who don't have who, who don't have something bigger than the universe try to do it with stuff in the universe. Yeah. And in that case, that's science trying and trying, trying to replace um, the supernatural, I guess, in people's lives. And I, my understanding is they were never particularly successful. Yeah. So you'd say that science uh, hasn't really been able to explain the spiritual just in and of itself? If there... I mean, it's almost... It's the wrong tool. Yeah. It's like saying, um, will a magnet be ever able, ever be able to pick up a piece of wood? <laughs> That's the wrong thing. Yeah. You know, if science can't find the spiritual, the genuinely spiritual in the sense of the supernatural, yeah. it'll be because science isn't supposed to find it. I mean, it's not. It's a tool designed to study the natural world. Yeah. Um. You know, you know, a magnet picks up, you know, metal, iron. Yeah. If it doesn't pick up wood, that's not. Yeah. You know, you've just chosen the wrong tool. So if there were a spiritual realm out there, a supernatural, then we wouldn't expect science to find it. We might see some places where a scientific explanation of something seems a bit unlikely and and forced. Yeah. But it's it's not the case that you know. You know, you're just you know, if you're trying to explain the spiritual with with science, you're you're almost using the wrong tool there. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Hence why I, I think I heard someone say, well, hence why it's supernatural. Like science will work with the natural kind of matter of of the universe, whereas the spiritual is kind of outside of it in some senses. Um, next question: Why can't you just take the Bible literally as it does follow an order of life? We are human and we will never understand God's powers and ways. So there's two things there. One of them is that there's a, there's a genuine attempt and an, and an obviously necessary and logical attempt to try to read the scriptures in the shoes of the people who were the original audience of the scriptures mm. in the first place, the original readers. Yeah. And when we do that, we find that actually the things that, that catch our attention as, as here I am, it's February the 6th, 2022, I grew up in Australia and now I'm going to read this ancient Hebrew document that's a couple of thousand years old. You know, I'm... It's the the harder we work to try and get into those original shoes, the more we start to see where our own assumptions are sort of shaping the way we see the text, mm. and this sort of ex expectation about what sort of answers it's going to give us. You know, we want those sort of biographical details about exactly when and exactly how long and exactly where and all that sort of stuff, and. If for the original audience they just weren't the questions they were interested in, then yeah. we're sort of reading the text with a bunch of assumptions that are us, coming from us. So the fact that a, a reading of the Bible seems obvious and plain to me is a start, but we, we do need to try and dig a bit deeper. Yeah. The other issue for me that I discovered was and article with Premier Christianity laid this out in a bit more detail, is I'd yeah. read an awful lot of the young earth creationist literature with their supposed scientific evidence that the universe is young. 
Um, in particular, they, there's a bunch of stuff that they've written about astronomy, about the Big Bang Theory, about cosmology, about all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Not so much geology, that's not my field, but the, the sort of astronomy side of it. As I progressed in my training as a physicist, as an astronomer, getting, you know, undergraduate and, and master's, PhD and all of that sort of stuff, mm. uh, and, and, and continuing to sort of look, keep looking back and forward with this stuff, the realisation came that actually all of this, the, almost all of the stuff from the young earth creationists was just wrong, just scientifically wrong. Mm. It just, it aimed at the wrong target and failed to hit it. Interesting. Um, it, it just time and again there would be some claim made by, you know, a, a young Earth creationist, a, you know, attack on the Big Bang or here's a reason to think that the universe is young. And as I got the skills necessary to actually appraise that for myself and not just take their word for it, mm -hmm. to actually go and look it up, to actually understand the science myself, it was wrong. Um, and that happened just sort of too many times and at the same time realised that the, the evidence for the age of the universe in particular, I can't speak too much to things like radiocarbon dating. It's just not my field. I'm not a yeah, geologist. But sure. in terms of the age of the universe, um, it's not even really the Big Bang Theory because you don't have to get out that far for it to see a universe which is older than 6,000 years old. Uh, that the, the scientific evidence there was just extremely strong mm. to the point where if the universe is 6,000 years old, then the, you know... <laughs> It's almost deceptive, the view we have of the universe around us. There's a way to make a universe look 6,000 years old, and this isn't it. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thought-provoking. Um, I'll go to the next question. Um, does the Bible talk about space slash the universe that would refute the flat earth theory and no space existing outside our realm in which some Christians believe in? Um, well, there's a few things there. The flat earth... Um, I don't think the Bible says anything one way or another. Hmm. Um, it was certainly known at the time. We're sort of talking ancient Greece, 300 BC. They not only knew the earth was round, but knew a method to measure how big it is. It's right the radius of the earth. Okay. Um, there, there's pretty good arguments from them as well. So during a lunar eclipse, if you look at the moon, you can see the shadow of the earth go across the moon. That shadow always looks round. It's obviously round if you can sort of see the shadow on the moon. Mm. Um, from that and various other things, um, th there was evidence known to the ancient Greeks that the earth is probably round. Yeah. Now, I, I just don't think the Bible says anything one way or another about yeah. that. There's a phrase in, uh, I want to say Job, I want to say Job 38, I might be wrong. We'll, we'll uh, where it, it says he, he sits above the uh, God, God sits above the circle of the earth. Now, um, there's the problem is, as usual, there's a number of ways that you could sort of interpret that. Mm. One of them is to say that the earth is flat, it's a circle, and God is sitting above it. Yeah. One of them is to say, actually, no, they didn't have a separate word for circle and for ball, so he could just be sitting above the round earth, and that would also be consistent. One of them is to say, look, the whole point is that he is sovereign over creation. It's not that he's up literally in that direction. Yeah. The circle of the earth is just like it's probably a reference to the horizon. Mm. You see a horizon around you. That's the circle of the earth. And God is just 
above creation, yeah. not literally on top of us, but sovereign. That's the point it's trying to make. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, if anything, the clearest case, and it's not particularly clear at all. So I don't think there's anything in the Bible along those lines. And again, looking for scientific facts in the Bible is committing yourself to an interpretation which was... Um, you know, le leaves everyone in the dark for a couple of thousand years. Yeah. And and we only started interpreting the Bible correctly a couple of hundred years ago. And I think that's a, not the right road to go down. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good answer. Is there anything in your research, uh, I guess, that does talk about the flat earth theory and no space oh, existing? Yeah, it isn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah we, have, we put satellites in space. Yeah. Um, if you go to the beach, you can see it. It's curved. You can look at it and it's curved. Right. Um, yeah. No, not only that, but, you know, um, um, every, <laughs> every pilot of every aeroplane gets taught how to navigate. How on earth do you think they arrive at the right place if they've got the shape of the earth wrong? I mean, <laughs> baffling. Um, we have... Satellites that can turn around and look back at the Earth and spacecraft. Anyway, anyway. so yeah, no, no, it's not right. flat. I, just, I thought I'd poke a little there. Um, <laughs> next question. What is the attitude of your academic peers slash colleagues about your faith? Um, well, some of them are Christians, so that's, that's always good. Um, I have no idea what the stats are. Uh, I think overall it's easy to get stats in the US, but... There's a lower percentage of Christians in, in academic science as there are in the community. Part of that's probably what's called a selection effect. If you're up and coming and young and bright and smart and an atheist, I mean, why wouldn't you be a scientist? What other field mm. is? So it's not that a, a, a random bunch of people start studying science and then a whole bunch of atheists come out the other side. It's just more atheists choose to study science. That's why right. there's more scientists who are atheists. But it's not in any way... I'm not particularly rare. I'm slightly more outspoken as a Christian than, than some of my colleagues, but I yeah. know plenty of my colleagues who are Christian. And beyond that, you know, um, it's, it's obvious to most people that I have, you know, I can do science and they can do science with me. It's not yeah. like it's going to stand in the way of the science yeah. that people want to do. When you're a scientist, you just want to get on with it and do science. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing, you know, we just want to get on with it. So recently end of last year there's a bunch of grants from the government supposed to be handed out to scientists to, to, for us to do our work properly and the minister delayed the announcement for whatever stupid reason and the, the, the general feeling amongst all, you know, all of our colleagues is just like come on we just want to get on with this stop, stop messing <laughs> us around we don't want to do politics yeah <laughs> just let us do some science anyway yeah so it doesn't really, it's not like you're being persecuted or anything like that or paid no, out I'm on fine. and things like that. Yeah, that's good. Um, what is it like writing a book as a Christian with an atheist? Did anything that you two found in the research make your co-author think about God? Yeah, one of the fascinating things is uh, Geraint will do a, Geraint's a Welsh name, by the way, that's where that name comes from. Um, Geraint will do, say, a podcast with some atheist some atheist podcast, mm. and, and we sort of get the same question. Like, so in, in the book there, the first seven chapters we wrote together and then the last chapter, chapter eight, 
we wrote as a, a sort of dialogue, a mini debate between us. Yeah. And uh, he gets asked, why didn't you win? And I get asked, why didn't you win? Um, <laughs> so um, it was, we were sort of colleagues. We'd written papers. He was yeah. my honours supervisor. Yeah. You know, we'd worked together before we wrote the book. So in, in many ways it was really easy. Yeah. So the way it actually came around was... Um, I had researched this topic of fine tuning and actually written a a review paper that's been published. Mm. And then the people at the Sydney, I was at the Sydney University at the time as a postdoctoral researcher. I gave a talk to the astronomers there on this topic, which was really great, really well received in terms of just the science of it. And then it's obvious what, you know, people just start speculating on all sorts of things. Geraint was there. And he'd been thinking about re- writing a book and sort of had most of a contract together to write a book and, yeah. and it was like, oh, this is it. This is the topic. We should, we should write this. You should write it with me. And then, so yeah, it was great. Um, I, I think he, he's always been, Geraint's always been quite skeptical of philosophy in particular, which sort of includes religion inside of it. Yeah. Uh, but I, th- I think he's at least appreciating that there is some good philosophy out there yeah. at the very least. So yeah, yeah, that's really good. Thanks for answering that. Um, why did you pursue to study uh, cosmology as your career? What led you there? Um, so it starts, the, the simple story is that I was good at maths in uh, high school. Uh, and then as part of that, also then studied physics in high school and discovered that you can actually use maths to do, to study the natural world. Mm. Um which is kind of amazing and a bit of a revelation. And then the more I studied it in university, the more I just wanted to know more about physics. Mm. And in particular, I started reading, I was doing my courses in sort of this physics here, but started reading popular level books like the ones I've written now, which mentioned all these other stuff in physics, like Einstein's ideas and all this sort of stuff. But they weren't in the courses until later on. There's like, so Einstein's idea about gravity is sort of a fourth year. It's a very difficult mathematical theory but I was like oh definitely sticking around to do that at least (laughs) and then once you've done physics I just found cosmology just to be the most amazingly fascinating branch of of physics along with you know astrophysics in general a particularly wonderful book called just cosmology the science of the universe by Edward Harrison who is or was he passed away uh, in fact a Christian Um, but just laid out the logic of it and it was Mm. just Beautiful and brilliant. If you, you know, if you can speak the language of mathematics, then and and physics is a whole lot of fun. Then this is just yeah. the best stuff out there. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, uh, okay, maybe one or two more questions. What do you think about humans moving to Mars? Would it be <laughs> wrong if God didn't design the planet for us? Um. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a slightly different context, but I have a, a, a colleague who thinks an awful lot about fine-tuning as well, Robin Collins, who used the example of um, you might think that Australia is uninhabitable as well if you look at it <laughs> from the right sort of angle. Um, so I, th- I think there's a... Yeah, you know, there's there's plenty of bits of the Earth that were sort of uninhabitable until we we put in the right technology to sort of you know water fields and and agriculture and and mm. all that sort of stuff. So I don't think there's any sort of particular issue with living on Mars. Although, I um, a the first bit's going to be a one way trip. 
because we don't really know how to get you back from Mars, so just so everyone's aware of that. <laughs> and I, I can't see, although it's not really, not quite my field, because it's more yeah. about biology and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, sure. I can't see a way to make it particularly habitable when you haven't yeah. got large amounts of water on the surface mm. uh, I, I, and, and not much of an atmosphere either. Um, and, you know, space flight's incredibly difficult, still incredibly difficult. Um, no one's walked on the moon since 1972. We thought we'd be, you know, like it's 2022, guys. Like we yeah. thought we'd be like catching a taxi to the, the moon by now and just <laughs> popping out into outer space. 50 years later, no one's walked on the moon since the last of the Apollo missions. Mm. Just really difficult. So um, I'm sceptical as to whether it would work and, and the, the, major, <laughs> the major unknown is the people you've got to put in it. Because it turns out, you know, one of the people on Mars turns out to be a lunatic, then you're in real trouble. <laughs> That's a fair call. I've yeah. always thought that you kind of need to almost import a lot of stuff from Earth in order to make it work in the first place. So, yeah. Um, last question. Uh, could the multiverse be real? If so, do you think that it could exist? Or things could exist, sorry. So the, the multiverse, again, is the idea that um, there's, if we go sort of somewhere else in the universe far enough away, mm. we'll find that the laws of nature are different. In particular, the, the laws we think of as sort of being the laws of nature are actually just something that we're used to around here, where, you know, a couple of bazillion light years is around here. But, you know, if you go far enough that way, in the universe for long enough, you'll, you'll eventually find an electron that's heavier than the one we've got or lighter than the one we've got or something like that. Yeah. If that sort of idea is true, you, 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 you sort of glimpse a way where you might be able to explain why fine-tuning, why a universe which supports life is out there at all is because the universe is basically buying lots of different lottery tickets with different combinations of these numbers <laughs> and eventually the right one just turns up somewhere. So in terms of is it possible, well, yeah, because possible is a very big category. Yeah. There's no, like, logical contradiction in the idea of a multiverse. You know, go far enough that way, measure how heavy an electron is, it turns out to be heavier than our one. There's no, there's no logical issue there. The problem I have with the multiverse is from a scientific perspective, mm. I think it's got a lot of work to do if it actually wants to be the sort of theory that I want as a physicist where I can go and predict some stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't just want some weird, wacky ideas about the universe. Mm. The thing about Einstein's theory is I can use it and I can make predictions and I can solve equations. I can do all the stuff I'm trained to do as a physicist. Yeah. I worry about the multiverse on that level just, just failing. A lot of the ideas we have aren't really up to that standard. In terms of answering the argument from fine-tuning to the existence of God, the thing that's fascinating to me is just sort of realising what the strategy is of the multiverse. What we're saying is, okay, we see design in biology in all the amazing life forms around us, mm. so, uh-oh, let's look deeper down into physics, as Dawkins says we should, right, you know, takes it for granted, and, uh, uh-oh, fine-tuning, it looks like there's, you know, you've got to have a remarkable set of fundamental properties of the universe if you want life to happen, anything to happen up in that higher level. Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh well, we better just go deeper. What if there were laws even deeper than the laws of physics that we know now and they could build lots of different universes all over the place? 
Well, what that what that strategy is is the you know I'm I'm, I'm losing the game, so I'm going to invent a new game. Mm. Right? It's asking for a for a rematch yeah. in a it, not just a rematch, but a rematch in an arena where the, there's no rules. Right? Mm. It's like yeah. I'm losing tennis, so I'm just going to invent a new game where I can make up the rules as I go. Yeah. And I think if you, we understand that that's the strategy, I, and I'm fine with you know I've written papers that I've published papers that that look into the multiverse, but in terms of the strategy of is there a god or not, it's clear what that's what what the strategy of the multiverse is. It's asking for a rematch where there's no rules. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. I've often had that question as well. Luke, thank you so much for taking of your time and uh, uh, speaking with us and answering our questions. Um, we would love to be able to support you. Ha other than buying your books, I know you can get them at Kurong, you can get them on Amazon, you can get them um, most places on the internet, just look them up in Google. But is there any other way that we can support you? Um, in prayer would just be fine, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not an apologetics ministry as such. No, I've got sure. a job, right? Yeah, I yeah. lecture. So <laughs> I like, you know, buy, the, buy a book if you feel like it, but I'm fine. I'm feeding my kids. We're all good for that. Give yeah. your money to someone who actually needs it. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> If you want to look up, if you just sort of type my name into YouTube, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. There's a channel I actually have with Geraint where we keep asking sort of scientific questions about the universe and having a chat about that. It's called yeah. Alas, Lewis and Barnes, if you want to go look that up. Um, or, you know, just find me on social media. Um, I think for the moment I'm the top Twitter, uh, top Google hit if you put my own name in. But uh, yeah. I don't know how long that'll last because there's a guy who was in... <laughs> an actor in Game of Thrones who was coming up that list pretty quickly. <laughs> there you go. So you're not the actor I've, from Game of I've Thrones. I've just admitted I Google myself. But anyway, carry on. <laughs> I think we've all done it at one point. Well, I hope. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, thank you, Luke. And uh, we will be praying for you. And thank you again for giving up your time. And for those of you watching online or at a future date, um, we'd love it if you could support us uh, by subscribing, liking, commenting, letting us know what you think about this and sharing it around. I always say this, we're not doing it to be popular or to be the biggest thing on YouTube, but we're trying to do it just to make things uh, available to people where they might actually find it really interesting and thought-provoking. So if you want to help out in that way, that would be awesome. But once again... Sam, Luke, just messed up your name. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> what, me? Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, thanks, everyone. What it's a been way a to end the podcast. <laughs> yeah.